All right, we're, we're going to get started because, um, yeah, if we don't, then we will not finish even close to time. I want to open this morning with a, a text that I'm still not open to. So give, here we go, here we go. <clears throat> Psalm 40, verse 4 to verse 8. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to read this out loud, and I just want this to set the tone for today. Because today is, uh, we're talking about stewardship, and the bulk of it is on giving. But I want to uh, dispel any like rumors of it being salvific or indication of your salvation or anything, any of those things. So here's Psalm 40. It says this, <coughs> verse starting verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not, does not turn to the proud, to, go, to those who go straight after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. Let's pray before we get started. O oh Lord of all creation, you are good, generous, wise, perfect, sovereign. You are everything that we could never be, Lord. Stable, steadfast, sufficient, you are all of these things and many more. Lord, we, we rejoice in the fact that we can love you and that you've made yourself known to us. Lord, I pray that this time would be a time of a reflection on our own hearts and our own motives so that we might look to you and we might depend on you more and we might be satisfied in you alone. Lord, help us this morning. Open our hearts. For all, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So tell me, uh, if you want a, uh, a handout, that'd be great. Um, just slip up your hand and Thomas will bring it to you. Give me a whole, just made a whole tray of it. Or do you mean this one? Okay. So tell me what you think when I say the word stewardship. What does it mean? What does stewardship mean? Some, a responsibility entrusted upon a person by a superior. Okay, so being a good steward, it's stewarding something that is not yours, right? Uh, tell me about good, a good example of stewardship in the Bible. Who's a good example of a good steward? Joseph. Joseph? Absolutely. Who else? Moses. Moses? Right up until he struck the rock, right? With that. <laughs> um, what else? Who else? David. David? Tell me how he was a good steward. He was a good steward of his people. He was. Uh, even in the midst of his sin with Bathsheba and then the... Um, 
the, you know, the, the murder of Uriah, he <coughs> still, he still called the man after God's own heart. And so that should kind of turn, turn us to looking at an example of a sinful man who yet is still called a, God, a man after God's own heart. If you, if you guys would like a, um, yeah, one of these things, Miss Chris and Daryl. It's good to see you all. You. Um, we're we're talking about stewardship, and stewardship has a whole bunch of meanings, a whole array of meanings. So, so what what is it that we what do you think of? What are the things that you kind of categorize as good? Like we have stewardship over. What are those things? Children, okay, family, absolutely, other people, for sure. What else? Money. Money, yep. Resources. Resources, yes. Time, absolutely. Something we all struggle with right there, time. What? The gospel. The gospel, uh-huh. Speech, we would kind of, uh, proclamation of the gospel, for sure. What else? Our intake. Yeah. Intake? Like what, what comes into us? Absolutely, we have good stewardship of that. Yeah, 100%. Job. Job. Yes, it's like you're reading the back of the page. Yeah, that would be a good thing. That's a good place to start. What else? Each other. Each other, 100%. Relationships. Uh, these are all things that we steward, right? We're given, because let me ask you this. Do you own anything to such a level that you have complete say over what happens? What do you have that you've not received? That's the question, right? You may have worked hard for it, but it's still a gift. You didn't have to be given it. God did not have to let you have it. So I want to start in the very end of this, this session. So if you have your notes on the very back, it says other areas of stewardship. I'm going to start there because if I don't start there, we will never get there. Um, and I, I want to talk about them briefly because stewardship is... Often, uh, often it's kind of misunderstood in, in all these places. For instance, I make a schedule and I schedule out, you know, appointments and meetings and things that have to be done, like on certain days for assignments or for deadlines or whatever you got. Right? We all do these things. But if you if you get to so level to the level of like scheduling one on one time with your spouse. Like if and and not that that's a bad thing, but then there's like a, an emergency, and now you're frustrated because you didn't have your one-on-one -on -one time with your spouse. But you were called to. to so, you, you feel the tension that I'm trying to put down. If you're getting frustrated at the fact that your schedule got messed up just a little bit, then you then you probably have made an idol and taken too much ownership over your time. Time is a big stewardship of ours, right? We're asked to steward it wisely. What are some things that we use that um, I'm using use on purpose to uh, forego or to neglect the stewardship of our time? What are bad, poor stewardships of our time, I guess you could say? Oh, TikTok. TikTok, absolutely. Bad stewardship of your time. I promise there's nothing good on TikTok. That's not true. I made lots of delicious food off of things I have. There are delicious food, but you can find it in other means. <laughs> no problem. I promise. 60 seconds not Yes, this is true. What else? What's a, also a poor stewardship of your time? 
Yes, dead, dead scrolling. Thank you, thank you for the category. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we'll call it dead scrolling social media. What else? Video games. Social media research. Social media <laughs> research. TV in general. But but these things aren't necessarily in and of themselves. Bad. Correct. It is. It is how we use them and what is the purpose. Yeah. Because if we're called to glorify God in everything that we do, Paul says, eat and drink. Eat and drink glory. glory of God. Glory of God. Then we can use these things, like video games and watching TV, to edify ourselves with them. Yes. Um, in fact, um, I would say the reason I use use is much like a drug. Like we use, addicts use drugs to satisfy themselves, right? And so when I'm, when I'm, I'm using it on purpose, using news on purpose, um, apologize for those of you who are English majors or even care about that kind of thing, um, but the using of something to distract our brains is probably a step too far. Now, it can be edifying, you're correct. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, um, but they can be a time waster uh, and therefore a use of drug, a drug of sorts. So the questions that you have to think about with your time is what does it look like to use my time wisely? While rest is a good thing, allowing our body and the opportunity to recover from a busy day of the week, that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to allow our bodies to recover. Laziness and slothfulness, so being slow to do something or being lazy to do the, the things that the tasks that have been set before us, are not good stewardships of our time. So when you're thinking about your time, are you an efficient manager of your time? Because you are not the, the Lord of your time. Jesus is, right? Do all to the glory of God. And so how do you prioritize your time? That's the question. Um, and I want to ask you that for reflection purposes. How do you prioritize your time well to the glory of God? So good stewardship ask that question and ask. So, uh, number two, er other areas of stewardship were on the back of the pages, if you were curious. Um, it's number two is speech. So, do you steward what you say? You know what I'm talking about. James says, what about the tongue? It is, yeah. It's terrible, right? Deadly. No one can control it. He, um, I think what's pointing to us there is that it's the fact that our tongues can get us in trouble, but it's not necessarily that like other people might hear what we say. It's a reflection of actually what's in your heart. Now, what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a man, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the question needs to be, do we purposely speak above those we are talking to, or do we strive to speak at the level of our audience? Do we, do we strive to talk to one another like we care for them, or do we try to be condescending? Do you say words that would be um, um, tearing them down, tearing the people down, or would you, are they edifying in and of themselves? So that does, does that mean that we don't ever say true things that are hard things? No. It means that we say them with kindness, gentleness. And we sometimes bring the two by four, but we never swing it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's not a, you, you should never be 
being abusive with your speech. To manipulate someone is to be abusive with your speech. So let's not do that. Relationships. We steward our relationships. So how do we manage our priorities with those God has placed in our lives? Like, are we so family-focused and family-oriented that we never, you know, can never think to supply the, the needs of others? Like, do you live in such a way that your relationships are so tight that there's no room for anybody else to enter? And you're not going outside to even try and see if there's someone in need, right? I mean, I, I'm guilty of this. Like, my family was everything for me. And, and so I wanted to be as, you know, available to go and see my mother as, as often as I could. But, hey, I had been married. And uh, it was driving my wife crazy. Yes, Mom, I'm sorry. You've, uh, it wasn't you. It was the fact that we were doing things that didn't seem like it were that fine at the time. And so the idea of my relationships, I was actually neglecting the opposite direction, right? I wanted outside of the relationships that meant most to me, I was neglecting that. And for my, you know, my mother, my father, my brothers, no offense to Jared, Amy. So you have to be careful about how you manage and steward your relationships. The energy, energy teaching, guiding, listening uh, is part of how we should define where our relationships, uh, how much we are giving to each of our relationships. Energy, teaching, guiding, and listening. So do we mentor or disciple others? Do we allow others to do that for us? Are we too proud to ask for discipleship from those we may believe are more mature in those areas that we desire, or are we convicted that we have work to do? Um, stewardship in relationships is not just a one-way thing. So uh, what is a one-way relationship that you have right now? Do you have any relationships in your life that are one-way? Like, complete and utter? I can, I can name one, and it's in the room. Yeah. A baby. A baby, right? <laughs> but what happens when they start to talk? They start to Yeah. So they start to talk, and you have to learn how to steward that relationship, teach them how to speak well, teach them how to have respond to you kindly. You know, we're not, it's no longer a one-way relationship at that point, right? You're trying to teach them to be two-way, right? That's part of growing up. It's not, what, what can I get all the time, but it's also, how can I give, right? How can I give them my time? How can I give them my energy? Number four, spiritual gifts. Um, as we as we will read in Romans 12, talents and gifts should be used and should be stewarded wisely within the church. So even if you don't know what your gifts and talents are, um, we always are called to serve, right? Last week we talked about service. And so every Christian is called to serve. It's not, it's not that I, as Pastor Corey, serve you exclusively and that's all I do, but you also are called to serve one another. And in fact, because I'm a member of this church too, you're called to sort of serve and meet my needs too, in a way that is good, right, and edifying. So spiritual gifts doesn't mean that you uh, name a spiritual gift for me. Anybody? Give me one. Evangelism. Thank you. We just talked about this. So uh, if you have a spiritual gift of evangelism, it makes it easy to evangelize, right? But it's, it's also something that you should steward wisely. 
Because if you're doing evangelism and not taking somebody with you to do evangelism, to teach them how to do evangelism, you might be not stewarding it well. Um, it may just be a limitation on your time. It may be a limitation on their time, whatever. But uh, to steward your spiritual gifts well is to bring others along in them, right? And to serve others with those. Number five, and then I'm going to jump into the big one. Number, job, number five, job and study. As above, what would stewarding your job look like? What does it look like to be a good steward as a teacher, as a dental hygienist, assistant, sorry, as a building inspector? We've already said kind of like the high level, do all to the glory of God, but what is it? Don't let it, don't let it interfere with your time, your relationships, using your spiritual gifts. Yeah. What about in the job? Yeah, perform it not only to the glory of God, but as in to God. Service to God Himself, right? And so that that changes your your kind of your motivation for a job that you don't like, right? If, if you ask me, it should it should change your motivation for okay, look, I don't like to press this button every twenty minutes because that's what I have to do, but that I now do it with joy to the glory of God on the dot for every 20 minutes, whatever that job is. I'm just making something up. Uh, I, personal story, I used to work a help desk, a computer help desk, so passwords, re resetting passwords, accounts, um, building new accounts, all these things, right? And um, fixing back-end problems was much easier than dealing with fires that people made for themselves, like couldn't remember their password. Uh, you know, so. But their fire is big to them, and for me, that's small cookies. You know, like, why did you forget your password? It's just a password. Um, doesn't really matter. But I would get frustrated at that, and I'd be like, oh, man, not another password reset. Ugh, you know, what? and I'd just complain. But what does it look like to do that to the glory of God? To do that is to say, I am glad to help you. And then setting that password as fast as possible, giving them the opportunity to, to do their job well, facilitate, right? In that case, but like, like, oh yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, that that's the uh, well. Some people, some people are just saying it, but that is the idea, right? Uh, to, for the for the glory of God. So, um, yes, that's so. We've got job study. What does it look like to be a priesthood? You're called to be the priesthood of all believers, right? You're part of that priesthood. And so, what does it look like to steward your job well as part of the priesthood of all believers? That's the question. Um, that means that doing it the best that you can and then trying to improve, right? Even trying to be better. So if you find yourself stagnant, you might need to find a way to improve on whatever skills, opportunities, or anything else that you have in front of you. So remember, you're an example to everyone around you. Yes. Like if, if you're a Christian, people around you know that. Yes. And they are watching you. And if you're grumbling, and they'll go, ah, oh, well, you know anything. You don't, you don't, you're kind of ruined your witness at a level of like, just, you know, because you decided to complain about something that was pretty meaningless in most cases, right? So let's, let's uh, make sure that we steward our job and our study well. All right, back to the beginning, back to the beginning. I think it would be helpful, I should have done this first, uh, is to give you a definition for stewardship. You have it on your handout. It says this, taking responsibility for the things the Lord has entrusted to us. 
taking responsibility for the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. Does taking responsibility for the things that the Lord has entrusted to us save you? No. No. Um, In fact, if you are working that way, if you're saying, I'm doing these things, I'm doing them really well, and it seems like things are going everywhere but where I expect them to go, uh, it sounds more, that, that might seem innocuous in your way because it's not trusting in the Lord. But at the same time, it might show that you're trying to earn some sort of salvation from whatever ill that you're carrying. Let me be a little more direct. Faith in Christ alone is what saves us from our sins. It restores us to our Heavenly Father. The disciplines that we have discussed, we've been going through spiritual disciplines, we're now in week 10, well, well it's technically week like 20, but week 10, and we're talking about stewardship. The disciplines that these are disciplines that picture the kind of life that springs forth from a heart that has already been redeemed, right, by the blood of Christ. In fact, to exercise these spiritual disciplines outside of Christ, number one, impossible. Number two, it's only self-help. It does not save you. Just because you read, that doesn't save you. Just because you pray to the ether, uh, it doesn't save you. Just because you do good things, it works. It does not save you. So we're covering these things because we have received so sure of salvation and such a glorious inheritance from Christ. And through his death and resurrection, we get to be a part of that. That life that he has given us. So we want to live in a way that brings him glory, that evidences a trust in his promises and points others to him. Right? So these spiritual disciplines are some of just some of the major ways that we can do just that. So, um, I want to ask you, has your, uh, your understanding of the spiritual disciplines deepened in this time, those of you who have been here for a few weeks at minimum, have they deepened at all? And if they have deepened, what does it look like in your life to live to the glory of God in each of those spiritual disciplines? Now, so when we talk about fasting, remember the, the Lord himself does not command to fast, but have you... Consider taking a fast to get over a besetting sin? Uh, have you considered to take a fast on just to praise your Lord, to remind yourself to praise the Lord? Have you been praying more often so that you might be able to commune with Him more often? Right? These are the things that, this is the point of a class like this. Uh, uh, these sessions are not designed just to be an information dump and walk away. It's actually to change us so to help us in the sanctification process. They help us strive toward holiness and godliness and Christ-likeness. So when we take up this morning's topic of stewardship, and we're going to talk about money primarily, I want you to hear it as a, not as a uh, bashing, or, oh, I don't give, and I don't know, you know, like, or, or oh, I don't give enough. None, none of that, none of that. I, don't want, I want you to give you principles to either bolster your giving, to bolster your understanding for it, bolster your understanding for stewardship in general, but also to, to kind of give yourself some motivation to invest. That's what I think of the stewardship as, is an investment of my time and money that God has given me into something eternal. Okay? So I want to invest it in eternal things. I do not want to invest it into material things or things that moth and rust will destroy. So We've given a definition, take 
for stewardship, it's taking responsibility for the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. Right? Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, God owns everything. Everything that we have, God owns. And he calls us now to use the gifts he's given to us wisely, faithfully, and for his glory. I don't think we can really, I don't think we dispute that necessarily. There's nothing that's yours that you've not received as a gift. We've already kind of made that clear. So this, um, yeah, where am I? Sorry, I got lost. God owns all things. He also owns our money. Um, what is the par- what's the, the pericope, the, the story that Jesus uses when they, the guy hands, uh, or doesn't say, uh, whose, whose money is this? And he says, like, where should we, ta- should we tithe to, or should we pay taxes to Caesar, or should we pay it to? Them? What, what does Jesus say? Yes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto, unto God what is God's. And that's after he drew the contrast whose image is who's all, whose image is on this coin. coin. Yeah. And the implied thing is, and whose image is stamped on you. Yeah. The who image whose image are you? You're God's image. And so therefore God has complete say over what we do and who we are. So the Bible makes it clear that we are uh, a way that we must use our money. Much like our speech, much like our relationships, much like our job, these are a window into our true devotion and our true allegiance. We read in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19 this, Do not lay up yours for yourselves treasures, treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So what do you treasure? That's the question. And that's what you're giving, that's what giving kind of reveals about you, is that if you're giving all your time to charitable donations that are really more investing in things that are here in this earth, rather than investing in eternal things, where is your devotion? Primarily in this earth. Right? It, some people uh, would, use, would, can, would say, well, those are so that other people can hear the gospel. Okay, now we're talking about an eternal purpose for your donation. The problem is, is are, are you sure that's what's happening with your donation? No. But is it, is it a, a stewardship of the earth, for instance? Oh, like, is, is it a stewardship of what, what God has given us? Is it a furthering of what God has made? These are all questions you have to kind of lane. Uh, you know, way in your mind. So we're going to consider a lot of principles today. In fact, I think I've got ten. Yeah, ten. Ten New New Testament principles of giving. Welcome. If this is your first time, I'm not trying to get you to pay the church money. <laughs> like I just want you to understand the uh, the beauty and the gifts that you've been given, and how they are God's, and God has a say over what happens with them. Okay, and so. And whether you tithe here at this church or tithe at some other church that you attend, uh, that's, that's on your conscience, right? It's who you are. Um, but we want, we want to understand what the New Testament says about giving. 
Would someone open up to 1 Corinthians 10, 26 for me and read that out loud? 1 Corinthians 10, 26. So earth is the Lord's and all it contains. All it contains. Right? And he's just echoing Psalm 24 right, that we just read. Um, so, number one, God owns our money. I'm just going to come out and say it. He owns everything. He owns our money. Um, in Haggai 2.8, he says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In our culture, hearing these words can be actually quite offensive, if you think about it. We live in a country that prides itself on being made up of hardworking, pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of people. I work my tail off for this money I made, and you cannot tell me what to do with it. In fact, that would probably be what most people have the reaction when they say, God owns your money. Uh, but there is an eternal truth in that response that we cannot miss. Many of us do work painstakingly hard, in fact, put in way too many hours for our paychecks. We put in long hours to try to get ahead. And if we didn't work, we wouldn't have the money that we have, our kids wouldn't eat, our families wouldn't be taken care of, and so on and so forth. What I love about the Bible is that it reveals to us that what is going on in an ultimate sense. It reveals deep truths, the bigger picture. And with respect to our money, the deepest truth and biggest picture is the source of everything that we make is uh, the source of everything we make is a sovereign God. God is the one gifting you that ability to work. He's also gifting you the money that comes from it. And he is saying that there is a certain way to deal with it. He said, we are, uh, he said, nobody said, um, we are only stewards of the resources God has given us, not owners. What's a parable in the Bible where, um, that you can think of where this goes wrong. The talents, right? What happens? The, the third guy gives, yes. The first one's given five, right? And what does he do? He goes make five. He makes five. So he comes back and he gives ten to his master. second one is given two. He makes two. So he's got four. He gives it back to his master. He says, they're good and faithful servant. The last one, what, what happens? Buries is thinking that it was safe, and he bring and that it was a good thing that he did because man, who knows what's going to happen to that talent? And he gets, takes it to his master and he says, "You wicked servant!" Right? So the the hoarding of our means and our things is not what God is asking us to do. Right? So the primary determination of how we use our money should not be our own whimsy, our own desires, but God's word. Right? God's word directs us in how we should be using our money. So our question should not be, how much of my money do I give to God? But can you guess what the actual question should be? How much of God's money should I keep for myself? And this kind of changes the game, right? Think about it. How much money should I, of God's money should I keep for myself? Um, it, it's about generosity, right? It's about um, doing as God uh, in every way that we can to glorify God and with all of our means. And our money is something that is the most tangible thing that we give and receive. Right? Every day. If you're working, you're receiving money. And what do you do with that money? Is um, always the question. So, number two. Giving is an act of worship. Philippians 4.18 says this, I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having, given, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul uses language of sacrifices and burnt offerings of the old covenant temple offerings when talking about giving. And the reason why he does it is because it's a visceral understanding. It gives you like an understanding. If you're, if you're used to smelling the sacrifices being burnt on the altar, right? That reminds you of something. Of your sins being forgiven, right? Of whatever. Whatever is uh, your sins, uh, Thanksgiving offering, whatever the... It's a reminder in such a very visceral way. And so to those who have given themselves to the Lord... Um, they should be liberal with their giving. That means giving widely, even in hard times. That's good and bad. So giving is an act of worship. An act of worship takes place when? All the time. With every part of you. It's not just Sunday mornings. It's not just now. It's when you leave these buildings. It's when you go to your workplaces. It's when you have the opportunity to talk with a uh, hurting uh, friend. Giving is an act of worship, just like your whole life is an act of worship. Giving reflects, number three, giving reflects faith in God's provision. You know, the, the question cannot be in your head, what's going to happen in a year that I need to save this money for? Or even your time, or anything like that, or, or worrying about what's out there. God's asking you to make the next faithful step right now, not take the next faithful step a year from now. I mean, you don't even know your position. You don't know what you're going to be going through. You don't know what God's going to put in your place. Now, preparing for that is not a bad thing. But in such a way that it stops you from living to the glory of God now, you see the problem, right? There's a disparity. So we want to uh, have faith in God's provision, um, have faith in what he has given us to the point that we are confident that when we give... We send our money in places that mean something eternal. In particular here, when we send our money to the gospel work of this local congregation or others, it is like we are presenting our passport from a, kingly, from a heavenly kingdom. It's showing that our hope is ultimately not in this world or its riches or the job we're going to have or the people that we're going to know in a year. It's going to be um, in what God of the universe says is important right now. You do you, are you following me? It's a reflecting a reflection of our faith in God's vision. Um, number four, our giving should be sacrificial and generous. So let's go back to that that question of, that we asked earlier. Um, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Right. This question is kind of bringing us to a point of uh, look. God is giving you everything. And your money is a reflection of, uh, what you do with your money is a reflection of your understanding of who God is and what he is about. So, um, the question cannot be, or, or the answer to that question of how much, I, how much of this should I retain for myself should not be 90%. Okay, I, I realize I just flipped the, the question. Normally it's like, how much should I give? 10%. People are like, that's a tithe. Tithe means 10, and therefore 10. Um, a tenth of your money. But if that's not sa a sacrifice, then you probably aren't giving enough. If that's not putting you in a place where you're required of dependence on the Lord, then you may not be giving to the point where you should. And, and the reason why I'm saying that is because it's not just that you are 
trying to put yourself in a place where poverty, right? You're not trying to put yourself in a place of poverty. You're trying to be able to sacrifice whatever God asks you to sacrifice for his glory alone, right? And so we're sacrificial, but we're also generous. So remember we were talking about the stewarding of relationships earlier. Um, one thing that you can do is steward relationships with your money. That, do you know how, do you have any idea what I'm saying about that? Do you, do you make, do you have people in your home and you prepare a meal for them? That's a stewardship of your money and your time, your resources, and relationships all at the same time. Right? Are you bringing other people into your lives that you are feeding? That's just one way. Um, that you are communing with, and that that's a generosity, that's, a, that's a, something that should be in your heart, coming out of you as an act of worship to God. Second Corinthians 8 says this, and this is Paul writing to the Macedonian uh, Christians in Corinth. He says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme in their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly to, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Notice, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then gave gave up themselves to others. So one way you can steward your, uh, one way you should think about stewardship of giving is that it should be sacrificial and generous, not just determined by a hard line hint. Because by the way, if you look at all those temple taxes, it amounts to about 36%. So where we get the word tenth from, and I'm not going to go into a deep dive on this because it's 10, 12, but the, the word we get a tenth from is just a small portion of what they were already giving to the temple. To make it work. Okay? It's a very small portion. Now, am I saying you should give 36%? No. Give according to your needs. Right? But give in a way that is sacrificial and generous as a worship unto the Lord. Number five, giving reflects our spiritual trustworthiness. Now, does that mean that the more I give, the more trustworthy I am? No. Not necessarily. But um, one thing that is true is that our use of money is a primary way of evaluating our relationship with Christ. What do your bank statements and credit card statements say about us? Are they spending on frivolous things, or are they, are they spending on things that will last forever? And I'm not, again, I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm just giving these as principles to think through. Okay? Because giving should be, again, sacrificial and generous. It's, Number six, Christian giving is done out of love, not legalism. Legalism says you give and therefore you are demonstrating you are saved, right? Or you give and therefore you are demonstrating how holy you are. That is not what we're saying. We're saying because of the love of which Christ has loved us and we understand what he has given to us, we give all of our time, resources to him just to do with what he says needs to be done. Number seven, Christian giving is about, it should be done cheerfully. <coughs> Excuse me. So God is concerned not only about the giving itself, 
but more about the heart at which the giving is taking place. Right? It is very possible to give with wrong motives. For instance, it's very possible for you to think, well, I gave the church this money, and therefore they need to do with what I say should be done. Again, that's a misunderstanding of God's ownership of the money. Right? Even we have these things called designated funds. They are the bane of my existence. Um, because in a sense, we've kind of done that, right? We've pigeonholed a use for this money. And so um, it's very possible to fall into the trap of saying, I gave this money to this designated fund. It must be used the way that I say that designated fund should be used. Instead of the church using the resources wisely according to what the needs are and that designated fund falls over it. Does that make you hear what I'm saying? You do not have control over what that designated fund does. The church does. The church has the control and the final say. And uh, that's because they are doing so with um, uh, an eye to glorifying God. So it should be done cheerfully. Uh, here, here's one thing that we have to be careful about. is When we're not giving cheerfully, we're giving out of mundane duty. right? We can do it out of duty or we can do it out of spite. You can do it out of malice. You can do it for a whole host of reasons. But giving should be done cheerfully. So the question is, when giving is something we struggle to do cheerfully, what can we do to counter our heart's disposition? If we're, we're struggling with this, like, okay, if I give what I normally would give right now, I'm in such a tight place that I just cannot give that much. And if I give this much, am I going to regret giving this to God? Am I going to regret giving this to the church for their stewardship also? Am I going to regret? And then now you have to ask yourself, why am I thinking about these terms of regret when I should be doing it with a cheerful heart and joy? Number eight, and I'm going to fly through these eight, nine, ten. Giving is an appropriate response to real need. These aren't just esoteric things, right? When I say for the glory of God, I mean we're, we're talking about gospel-oriented purposes. So as Christians the local church, we're called to give regularly in a response to specific needs as they arise. Acts 2 is a good example of this. In fact, Acts has a whole bunch on when specific needs come up, guess what happens? The church takes care of it. The church helps at minimum. The picture of a loving Christian congregation is all over Acts. Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 16, Acts 18. These are all just um, examples. We're called to take care of our family, including our spiritual one. See 1 Timothy 5.8. And we are called on occasion to take care of, uh, of the spiritual family's needs as they arise. So, that should bring us to this point is say, stewardship of our money looks like keeping our eyes open for when people have needs and meeting those needs as we can. Number nine, giving should be planned and systematic. So it shouldn't just be like a tip at a restaurant. Right? It can't be, well, you, you gave a good sermon today, Corey. Here's ten bucks. Or maybe four bucks or maybe one dollar. I don't know. But it's not a tip. Right? It's a planned Discipline to give so that the church's mission might go forward, so God's mission might go forward through the church. It's planned, it's systematic. Um, number 10, generous, generous giving results in bountiful blessing. So let me straight up say right now, we do not believe in a prosperity gospel here. We do not. Um, in fact, I will preach against it vehemently when it comes up. And the reason why is because it's a demonic distortion of the truth, right? If, if you're saying, if I give money, I will be blessed 
tenfold in this life, like, okay, so I give my, I'm regular, I'm giving more than my 10%, whatever, um, and you think that that's going to give you some access, special access and favor to God's storehouse, then you have missed the point, right? You've missed the point completely from the very beginning. You said that I'm doing this so that I might receive instead of that I might glorify God. The prosperity gospel is a terrible thing. The, the teaching of God's will is to make every Christian wealthy, healthy, and wise in, in the here and now is a false teaching that must be stopped. It reduces God to a means. Yes. I, I like to talk to him about, talk to, talk about it as like a, the Pez, Pez dispenser. Like that's a, it's, a, it's a view of God that's so, uh, so demeaning to who he is that you've let, made him the level of a Pez dispenser. Plastic piece of thing that gives you some candy every now and then. That's terrible. Or a genie. Any of those things. But what I am saying, so me, is that um, generous giving isn't like putting in, in uh, into a, a slot machine and pulling a and getting you know pulling the, the cord and being, hey ah I've been granted the, the grand jackpot. Um, but it is about investing into eternal things, right? And we want to invest in eternal things, and those eternal things will multiply over and over and over in abundance. So it's a tremendous blessing to grow and trusting in God. And that's what giving is a part of. Building trust in the Lord. So we got these ten things. Um, I hope you have your notes with you. I went flying through them. But number ten, number one is God owns your money. It's an act of worship. Number two, it reflects your faith in God's provision. Number three, um, should be sacrificial and generous. It reflects spiritual trustworthiness. It's done out of love. It should be done cheerfully, with joy. It's an appropriate response to real needs. And it should be planned, systematic, and it results in bountiful blessing, particularly eternally. All right, I would love to take questions, but I just crammed 10 pages into uh, 40 minutes. So if you have questions, I will be around after service and would love to talk to you about them. If not, there are many other men in this room who are elders and deacons who would also not mind talking to you about giving or stewardship in any way that you might that might be on your heart. So let's pray, and then we will prepare our hearts for worship. Lord, you are good, and you're generous to all. You have given us more life than we could have ever asked for. In fact, Lord, we're so grateful that you have saved us from our sins and trespasses. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we are so grateful. Oh, Lord, and in that gratefulness, grow it within our hearts. Grow it within our hearts that we might be generous. Generous with our time, generous with our money, generous with our relationship, generous in a way that reflects Christ's generosity. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.